everyone, it's Elizabeth here from the Small Business Growth Club, and I'm delighted to say that today I am interviewing Catherine Morgan, who is a financial coach from the Money Panel. It's really good to have you along today on our Small Business Stories podcast. Catherine, welcome to our interview. Oh, thank you so much. Like Elizabeth helped me actually in the growth of my business in the very early days. And I don't think we've spoken for about 18 months or so. So it's it's an absolute delight to come onto your podcast today. Um, yeah, it's so nice to be reconnecting with people who I probably first started out with in the same time as my business. So um, thank you. Thank you for agreeing because I know you're a busy person. So um, thank you for spending some time on our, our podcast. And I'm sure our viewers will love to hear what you've got to say. So um, if we crack on with um, the first question. So um, what made you take the step to start your own business? Oh, great question. So this is actually my third business. So the money panel I created and set up four years ago. And really, I probably need to go back and share a little bit about my story to help you to kind of understand why we created the money panel in the first place. So when I look back at my my previous career was actually employed, I was employed for 17 years, I worked in the banking sector for 17 years. And right from when I left college and I was 18, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I I think there's lots of people that, you know, that fall into that situation. And my sister worked at the bank. And so I was desperate to have my own house. So I wanted to earn money fairly quickly and early on. And of course, that kept me in the trap of actually being employed, which is kind of another story, really. But I started working at the bank when I was 18. And every two years, I kind of got this itch and I call it the entrepreneurial itch. At the time, I didn't know that's what it was. But every two years, I just got really bored. And I was quite tenacious and was always challenging like rules and regulations and processes. And I was always questioning like, well, why does it work like that? And why can it not work like this? But I was always kind of told, you know, in a very structured environment, well, that's just the way it is. And I just got kind of quite frustrated, I guess, being in that situation. So I had this kind of two-year entrepreneurial itch. And when I got into my kind of mid-20s, I decided to go and take a a position out in the Channel Islands. So I worked out in Jersey in the Channel Islands for four years. And just before that, my husband and I met, we got engaged when we were trekking out in the Andes in Peru. And we moved out to Jersey, got married over there, and I had my first son. And during that period, my relationship with money was terrible. So at this time, I was managing a team of financial advisors and I was living in my overdraft every month, spending on credit cards. I was spending my salary before I'd even received it in my head. I already knew what I was going to be buying. And I lived in this cycle of debt and shame and guilt. So I had a really terrible relationship with my body, with my self-worth. And I used money as a tool to fuel buying clothes in the hope that buying more clothes would make me feel better about myself. I had lots of eating disorders and I was very badly bullied at school. So I was very stuck in trauma during my childhood. And you can imagine being a financial advisor, that the guilt and shame of being a financial professional and living in that situation. And there was one particular morning when I walked into this coffee shop on my way to work in Jersey. I walked along the beach, beautiful, beautiful island to live on, walked into this coffee shop on my way to work. And in front of me was this this leaflet about personal styling. And I took that leaflet home and I said to my fiance at the time, oh, I would love to have a personal styling session done. I'd love someone to just be able to tell me what I should wear, what style suits me, what colours I should be wearing. 
And so this lady came over and she weeded out my eight wardrobes of clothes and left me that evening sitting on my couch in this little cottage in Jersey. And as she closed the door, I sat down on this couch surrounded by about 12 bin bags worth of clothes. And I just cried my eyes out. And it was like someone had finally given me the permission to get rid of all the stuff I'd been hoarding in an attempt to feel better about myself. And from that day, that was the first moment when I decided that I wanted to have that level of transformation and change for other women. And so I flew this lady over from the UK. She trained me to be a personal stylist. And I set my first business up as a side hustle while I was working at the bank. I then fell pregnant. So I kind of ran this business while I was on maternity leave. It kept me, kept my brain kind of working while I was on maternity leave with my son. And we then moved back from Jersey to the UK and I then had my second son. And that light bulb moment, that first light bulb moment for me was the first sign or the early sign really that I wanted to create change. I wanted to create big impact. And shortly after, I then set up my second business, which was a gift business. So I was kind of styling people with jewellery and scarves and thinking, well, why don't I have my own product range to do this as well? So I then created my own product range. And I learned a lot about buying and selling and markup rates and launching websites and taking photographs of products and setting up Facebook groups to marketplaces to sell my products. I learned a lot about business. And Shortly after my second son was born, this was back in 2013, he was five weeks old and he unfortunately um, was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis. So on this particular morning, he he woke up, was very un, sort of very unsettled, um, didn't want to feed, didn't want to sleep. And I had one of my friends coming over for the day to have these baby hand casting sessions done where you put their hands in clay And as it was my turn to get Thomas out of the Moses basket that morning, I walked over to the Moses basket and he was just lying completely still, wasn't really moving. And his eyes were just like he he was blinking like he was in pain, like every blink was really painful. And I remember picking him up out of the Moses basket and he just screamed at me. And as I unwrapped his baby grow from his hands and from his feet, his hands were just like ice And I remember turning around to my friend and saying, something's not quite right. Like, I think I'm going to book a doctor's appointment. And to kind of cut the story a little bit short, within 20 minutes, I put him in the car seat. My friend left and I dashed straight down to A&E and I rang my husband on the way and I said, I'm going down to A&E, meet me there. Like, I'm not taking any chances. And just to put this into context, we nearly lost Thomas when he was born. When he was three days old, he had um, an infection at birth and we were told there was a 50-50 chance he was going to survive. So I was already kind of a little bit heightened to his general health anyway. And as I took him into hospital, within 20 minutes of arriving, they put me on a wheelchair and they wheeled me into resuscitation. Thomas was in my arms and all these doctors started swarming around the beds and they kept using this word sepsis. And I remember thinking, like, what the hell is sepsis? Like, I think I know what it means, but I'm not entirely sure. And for me, three days later, he had a lumbar puncture and he was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis, which is the worst form of meningitis. It's the one that needs the urgent treatment. And we were really lucky that we got him in so quickly. And two weeks later, we were discharged from hospital and he's now a very healthy, happy seven-year-old. But the challenge for me was that when I went back to work... 
I remember sitting there and thinking, how many people feel like this about money? How many people don't understand the jargon, the complicatedness of money? How many people feel guilt and shame about decisions that they've made in their past? And how many people don't know about the the financial education of how money works and are afraid to even ask? That's how I felt as a mum, as a second mum, not knowing that sepsis was the biggest killer of newborn babies, not knowing the symptoms of septicemia. And that was my second light bulb moment of, I need to get out of this organisation that is focused on products and focus on people and their behaviours and their relationships with money. So it's a bit of a long story, but those two kind of big moments in my life made me really think about what was really important isn't about the financial education. It was about the meaning that we attach to money, the behaviours and the beliefs and how we feel about money is often just a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. And that was what led me into creating the money panel business that we now have today. Wow. I mean, that's a really inspirational story. So you mentioned you were running your two other businesses. So, and I know you were doing that alongside by the time like you were working at the bank. So did you decide, right, I'm going to concentrate on the money panel when you made that decision? Or did you still keep those going, obviously, to help you with your income? Because some of the guests that I've spoken to, and you're quite right, the relationship with money, some of our guests have found it really hard, the transition from being an employed person to then, oh, no, I'm generating all my own money is a whole big <laughs> financial issue in itself. And we've had people that struggle. So how did you cope with that transition? Yeah, it's a really good point. So I did make the transition gradually. So I started the personal styling business while I was employed. Yeah. And I remember somebody said to me once, imagine that your employer is like your angel investor, like they're paying you a salary so that you can build your business on the side. um, And then at some point you can pivot from one to the other. And I think there is that kind of point isn't, you know, of saturation almost where you're running this business on the side and you're, you know, let's face it, you're doing it in the evenings, you're doing it at weekends and you're, yeah, you're bloody knackered. But for me, that worked really well because I was really passionate about it. So I was motivated to use my evenings and my weekends to build that business because it was something that I found passion and purpose in. And I think that's the key is if you can find something you're passionate about, monetizing it then is just the kind of byproducts of it being something that you really enjoy doing. But I found that graduation step by step much easier. So what I then did is I then left the bank and I went to, I set myself up as a self-employed consultant and I worked three days a week on like a retainer contract for some local financial advisor practices, thinking actually that, oh, it was going to be completely different in the independent financial advisor space. And of course it was, and in fact, it was worse than I'd ever imagined. But that that three days of retainer income, so just taking all of my skills and going to a local practice and say, look, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, worked really well. And then I basically at, I then had like two or three contracts and then I was so I was working two days a week on the business three days employed like kind of self-employed contracting and then I just gradually took that to the next step and moved from contracting to then full-time in my business and I think you'll know like when you're ready for that largely because you'll start to get some financial traction so you can actually then swap one for the other but what you just said there Elizabeth about 
that mindset shift from going from employed to self-employed is a really big one because we're used to just being paid every month. We don't even really think about it. And so I call it like the CEO mindset. It's it's actually then coming from a place of, oh my God, I, I have to come up with my own charging structure. Like that's a big one because a lot of people have a very overgiving relationship with money. And what that means is that they undercharge and they undervalue their worth. Yeah. So often people feel very uncomfortable about charging for their services or charging enough for what they should be charging for their value and what they're delivering because they're just not used to even having that conversation. Yeah. So how long has it been since you took that plunge and you're now just fully not employed at all? Has it been a couple of years, I think, if I remember right? Four years now. Four years. Wow. So that's, um, yeah, so it's, that's the same length as me. So you've been running like that for four years. So out of those four years, what do you think has been the most benefit to you by running your own business? So we've obviously had guests that say it's the flexibility, being your own boss. So for you, what benefit have you seen by running your own business? So interestingly, I would say neither of those two things, <laughs> because I think there's a big misconception that people start their own businesses because they want more freedom, they want more time. Actually, none of those things happen, particularly in the early days of your business. You will have to learn like a million and one skills all at the same time. Like you, you're suddenly a marketeer. You, you know, you have to go out and be visible with your business and your mission, and talk to PR and build products and services and look at your processes and systems. And you almost, you just become the chief everything officer until you then realize that I can't do all these things for myself. And I have to start outsourcing and leveraging my time and, you know, working with virtual assistants, and which is where Elizabeth and I, we first started working together. Cause I was like, just do all my bookkeeping. I know I'm a financial person, but I just don't want to do this anymore. And that is a game changer. That was a big leap for me to be able to financially significantly grow and, you know, very significantly grow was being able to learn how to outsource and leverage. But I think the reason I set up my business was purely based on passion, passion and purpose and my mission. I didn't feel that the work I was doing it wasn't aligned to my values. I didn't really enjoy it. I was just kind of in this bit of a golden handshake situation of earning really good money. And I just kind of living on that, almost like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a a conveyor belt of it just being normal and every day. And it wasn't until I then started thinking about what is the value I want to leave in my life? Like what's the legacy I'm creating? What impact do I want to have on the world? And I know that might sound like a big, a bit massive and huge, but I was always very clear from the outset that my mission was to equip and prepare a million women to be financially resilient. So I knew from the start I was growing an empire and not a lifestyle business. I knew that I needed to collaborate with other people in order to build a business like that. And I knew that I needed to get my expertise, you know, outsourcing and building my team so that then I could be out doing speaker events and traveling the world and launching global training programs like we have this year to actually impact on other people that can then share our values and our mission and our purpose. So for me, it was it was never actually about freedom and flexibility and anything like that. I mean, it did allow me to work with my, to have more time at home with my children, which I think for many people is a big one, particularly for, for mums and dads because you know they want that flexibility to spend more time with their family but what i would say is that sometimes you know there is that real balance between 
well, I kind of, I want to have more time with my children. But then if you're building a business, you do have to balance out between your work and your 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 children and your family. And that's always been a struggle for me because I don't see my work as work. When you do something that you love so much, you don't see it as work. So that balance between work and time with family, I think is always a challenge. Yeah. So would you say that, because obviously my next question is going to be, what's been the biggest challenge in running your business? So would you say that getting that balance right with your children and that has been your biggest challenge or would it be something else? No, I think... I think my biggest challenges have been allowing my mind to grow and expand as much as the business. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes we can fall into that trap of working so much in our business that we don't spend enough time on the business. And so that's probably been the biggest challenge because I'm a creator. Like I'm in in the powers of what we call numerology, which is all to do with, you know, where we, what we should be doing in our purpose in the world. I'm a 22, which is all about the the creator. Right. And so my mission is big. And my challenge has been, I come up with all these ideas all of the time. Like every day I must come up with four or five new business ideas. And the, the challenge for me is I can't do all of those things at the same time. And what I've really learned in the last four years is about building your team and acting as the CEO of your business. That That's a big mindset shift because suddenly from going to just writing weekly blogs and building a Facebook community and putting memberships and courses and programs together and launching a podcast, I can do all that by myself. But when you have to then build your team, that was the challenge for me was about, well, I'm very happy actually to give away a a lot of control. Like a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with that. I never have. I've never been someone who wants to take charge of everything. I'm very happy to delegate and outsource, which I think has really helped me. But I also think that how the the kind of concept of how do I build this as a team and what do these people do and how do I collaborate with other organizations to make that work in line with my mission and my purpose so my one of my biggest challenges around that has been my boundaries because I'm a people pleaser I'm a perfectionist I want to say yes to everybody I want to help everybody and I've had to learn really that I have to fill up my own cup before I can help others and that does mean I've had to really focus on my charging structure, which in the early days I was just giving everything away and my time and not, you know, not charging enough for my services. And so that's probably been one of the biggest challenges is growing the team, growing the mindset at the same time and, and learning how to collaborate with other people that have, a, you know, we have a shared mission and, and values to grow and have bigger impact in the world. Oh, and was there a time, because obviously, I think it was about two years ago that we started working together. And obviously I've seen recently you're launching your global training, which is amazing. Like you've come on so far from like when I first knew you, as I said, when you you were doing your Facebook community and writing your blogs and stuff like that. So was there a time when you realised that there was the opportunity to go global? And did that make your plans um, come on faster or are you quite a person to do it in a very measured way? So you've got it all planned out how that you want to do it. <laughs> so I always laugh about this. The irony of the financial planner, um, because I'm not a 
planner. It's not my zone of expertise. I'm very good at planning other people's lives. But when it comes to my own, I'm very spontaneous. You know, my relationship with money was very spontaneous. And it is with life. You know, often your relationship with money is really a representation of your relationship with other things in your life as well. And actually, I think that's that's been beneficial for me because it, it means that if I get an idea, I'll just go and try it. Like right. the perfectionist will definitely come out to play at times. But I just think about, OK, what what feels right? Intuitively, what feels right? You know, you get that kind of gut feeling yeah. in your tummy or, or in your chest or in your throat or wherever that is in your body. I just go with that intuition. So I think the global intention just kind of happened. I mean, for us earlier this year, as we went into COVID, I had some ideas that I wanted to train financial advisors to incorporate financial coaching into their business because that was very centered on helping people with their relationship rather than products. And so I kind of just put it out there. I put it out there on social media. I had 27 people sign up for my first program and I thought, okay, I probably need to now think about what I'm actually going to teach them. (laughs) And so I did. I spent a few days. I mapped everything out. I just took all the years of experience, personal experience and learning through lots of courses that I've learned. I've studied relentlessly in the last five years, all sorts of topics around NLP, law of attraction, um, all sorts of different things. And I just basically pulled this program together and I delivered what they needed. So I I really got to understand my ideal client, what they needed, how I can help them to integrate it into their businesses. And, you know, I was still a practicing financial planner, so I knew what their, some of their challenges were because I was experiencing them as well. And I think the power of, because I'd become a kind of micro-influencer in the financial services space, you know, I'd been getting out there in, in the media and with my podcast and in the press and on speaker stages. When I then kind of landed this product, people were like, oh, I have to do this because it was me delivering it. And that sounds really kind of like really big headed, but it was just because, well, I can see the impact Catherine's having on her community and I want to have a same for my clients. So we just kind of, we launched it. We had the structure, we taught it live and we got loads of feedback. And then literally the second time we opened it up for new members, we went international. We had Australians, interested Americans. We've got someone who's just joined from Hong Kong. We then won an innovation award and it, it kind of just all happens. And I think that's the, that's the message in that is that sometimes you can plan ahead and you can plan everything and what you're going to do and step by step. But sometimes just going with the flow and just doing what feels intuitively right for your business and for your audience and for the impact you want to have. You know, amazing things can happen when we just allow ourselves to just be fluid and flex and just listen to what your tribe or your audience or your clients actually need. Yeah. And um, so um, you obviously started your uh, marketing, your business, probably a lot on social media. As you said, you did Facebook to build your community and do you, you do blogs and you do a podcast and that. So are they the main ways that you now market your business? But obviously, you've now just mentioned that you do speaking events. So I suppose I'm just going to change that type of question because you're probably a bit further on than maybe some of our other guests. So have you learned lessons about what works for you during your journey? Um, And how did you come to those decisions? And how did you change the way you marketed yourself? So let me just break that question down a little bit then. So I think when I first started 
sort of marketing myself. I think the term marketing is an interesting one, isn't it? Because really it is about marketing yourself. I'm a massive believer in, you know, it's not just about selling your your product or your service. It's about selling the transformation. You know, even if you've got a product, it's about selling the transformation that that service or that product is going to help your ideal client to have. And one of the biggest challenges I found in the early days was actually understanding who my ideal client was. And I was quite nervous about, niching too far because I thought well if I niche to women in business for example and then niche even further than that then I was fearful that I was never going to attract enough people and there's this common phrase isn't there about if you try and uh, like attract everybody you'll attract nobody and so really in the early days I didn't really know and understand what I know now about marketing and I just put myself out there to be as visible as I could. And it was really uncomfortable. I was really, even now, I still get really uncomfortable doing podcast interviews and Facebook lives because, you know, we're all human. We don't like talking about ourselves sometimes. We don't like talking about our achievements. We don't like talking about our challenges. We're, you know, we're afraid of, oh, I've got spots today. I can't possibly do a Facebook live. So I just focused on my story. Right. And I think everybody has a story. Everyone thinks that, oh, but I haven't had a traumatic story to tell. But that was the one of the first things I did. I would say the first best marketing activity I did was I stood on a stage in front of my peers. There was about 100 of them um, in London. And I just shared my story. And I shared my story about Thomas and how it impacted on how I wanted to create change in the financial services profession. And I was so nervous. I literally, um, even the day before, I remember thinking, like, what excuse can I come up with to pull out of this speaker event? I was petrified. And that speech was recorded. It's on my website, actually. And still now I watch that back and think, oh, God, that was awful. Like there's certain things I would have done differently. And um, But the important message in that was if you put yourself out there, whether that's on Facebook, podcasts, YouTube channels, writing blogs, being quoted in article, PR magazines, all of those things are about visibility, brands, building your brand and your story. So think about your business. What is the story behind your business? That would be a great podcast series, wouldn't it? Just to listen to people's stories behind, as you're doing on this podcast, Elizabeth, it's finding the story behind your purpose. If you share that, you know, enough times, then people will start to connect and resonate that you are the go-to expert for that particular topic. So let's say, for example, you're selling a toothbrush and you talk about the story behind the creation of that toothbrush, then people are going to remember your company because of the story, not really because of the product. You may create an amazing product as well, but it's the story, storytelling. That's what the brain likes to hear. We love to hear stories. You know, think about when we were children, we craved stories, you know, that storytelling moment of when your parents tuck you in at bed and tell you a nighttime story. It, it, you know, it gives us comfort. It gives us connection and it helps people to remember who you are. Yeah, this is what Simon Sinek talks about in his why um, talk. You know, it's about not just finding your why, but being able to communicate and share that out into the world is what people are going to remember. And it's about holding that authority and building that trust, that reciprocity, that kind of like, like, know and trust you. But it's not, it's more than like loving you. They can't love you if they don't know your story. They can't love you if they don't know what's behind the business. They can't love you if you're not 
visible enough to share what you're so passionate about. Oh, no, that's thank you for that insight. That's some really good tips, I think, to help you market your business, as you say, about telling your story. So finally, um, I ask all my guests that appear on the podcast um, this question. So as you are aware, as we're recording this, we're probably going through the toughest year ever experienced by businesses because of the pandemic. So at the beginning of the year, a lot of my guests had um, goals. They'd set their goals for 2020 and then overnight they'd completely changed. So was that the case with you, Catherine? And if so, do you now have short, medium and long term goals and what are they? So several questions. So I'm going to be a bit controversial. <laughs> I'm going to be a bit controversial and say I don't like goals. <clears throat> I think goals for me are very masculine. They're very future focused. Even if you have short term, medium, long term goals, they, they're very focused in the future. I'm a massive believer in, in living in the present moment and being driven more by intention rather than goals. So the difference there is that if you're driven by internal motivation by, you know, I I have an intention of doing this, this and this, then the goal will naturally come anyway. But often goals, people don't really know how to how to create goals. They just pick something out of the air like, oh, I just want to earn a hundred grand this year, or I just want to build my audience to X number. You know, they don't really put a lot of thought behind it. So I think for me, intention is stronger than goals. And so what I did at the start of the year, and I do this every year, is I think about how can I live in the present moment and first of all, recognize all the good things that I'm already doing. What are those things do I want to continue? What are the things do I need to actually remove? So this is something called law of subtraction. What are the things that are draining your energy, that are making you feel overwhelmed? What things have you been saying yes to that you shouldn't be? What are your boundaries? What needs to change in order for you to move one step forward? I'm very much a believer in it's the small steps of imperfection that are that yeah that lead to bigger successes and bigger steps forwards in your business rather than just setting short, medium, and long-term goals. Then I look at my year ahead and I think about okay, so if I was to be standing in my shoes at the end of the year, how do I want to feel? How do I want to be behaving? Um, And what impact do I want to have created? And and then I go to the next level of, okay, so what does that look like? What do I need to be doing? So that then I'll go into more detail about, okay, so I've got 12 months. We're going to do two training launches that year. I'm going to deliver two masterminds to help people grow their businesses. I want to run a retreat in the summer. I want to be able to take August off so I can spend time with my children. So I kind of put in all my holidays and all my non-negotiables. And then I think about, okay, so if I do all of those things, financially what are my targets so what would that bring in what would that bring in what would that bring in what are my expenses for the year so it's quite a detailed process but that for me guides is all guided towards my north star it has to lead into my mission and my purpose yeah and then I can start to prioritize and I do this every week every week I look at four things in my my business what have been my wins my successes what have been my challenges what have been my lessons? What have I learned about myself? And what's my focus for the seven days ahead? And that's how I create my short, long-term, medium, I guess, you know, short, medium, long-term goals is it's more 
it's smaller steps it's more intuitive it's more about how I feel and it's broken down so that every week I can just sit back and say okay what's worked really well what's not worked very well what's my focus for the next seven days ahead oh no thank you Catherine I think that's an amazing different perspective on goals because I think you do talk to people about goals and then it it as you said it gives hidden it can be quite big in your head. Oh my God, I've got to find these goals. I've got to set myself these goals. And and you do come across a lot of people say, it doesn't matter what it is, just write it down. And then that will form into your short, medium and long-term goals. But for now, for how you've explained it, I think makes it much more manageable and much more achievable how you do it. And I think it depends on, like, I'm really visual. So for me to visualize and give my business purpose, is really impactful. So I I talk about with my clients, I talk about giving every pound a purpose. So when I have money coming into my business, and again, I do this on a weekly basis, which is probably a little bit over the top, but I just really enjoy it. And I think about, okay, so imagine every pound was like an employee coming to my desk on a Monday morning and it's asking for a job. What job are you going to give that pound? So when you're thinking about your financial goals, think about, okay, so if I am going to bring in, let's say, £5,000 a month, what purpose are you giving that £5,000 per month? And we have to think about profit, not just sales. That's really important. A lot of business owners lose themselves in just looking at the sales. You know, we've also got to look at plugging the leaks and regularly questioning ourselves about our outgoings and our investments. Um, And then really focusing on your profit, putting your profit first. If you haven't read the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, it is a game changer because it really focuses your mind on profit, which is what you're paying yourself. Because if you're not paying yourself, it's not really a business, it's a hobby. So I think finding purpose in your goals Think about what in what's your intrinsic motivation. What makes you get out of bed in the mornings? What makes you feel happy? That, at the end of the day, is the most important thing because we only have one life and everybody wants to have financial freedom and time with their family and their friends. I think this year has been a real reflection on how much more we want to be spending with our family and our friends and being connected. So if you centre your goals, if you like, on all of those things then everything else will just happen anyway because you've got that internal motivation. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Karen. It has been truly inspirational and I hope our listeners um, have really enjoyed this episode. So thank you for your time today. The Small Business Growth Club is a uh, monthly subscription club to join and what we do is we help give you practical hints and tips to help you grow your business. So every month we will send you a theme about your business. So some of the examples we've already covered are choosing the right accountant, why you should have a website for your business, um, the importance of branding. We've touched on several of the social media channels just to give you an introduction. And so every month as we grow with your business, we give you that theme to help your business grow and grow through the transition of the number of years that you've been in business. We're also offering a monthly networking group. We also give you access to all our business basics training. And there's a forum that you can go in and interact with other members. And that's all for £15 a month. So if you'd like to join the club, we will be delighted to have you as part of our community. You can just click on the link in the podcast episode and that will take you through to join the Small Business Growth Club. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for your time today. And we look forward to seeing you again, Catherine, anyway, in person when we're allowed to. And I look forward to seeing our listeners on the next episode. 
Thanks so much for having me, Elizabeth.